0: Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. We Before they burn it down This episode of the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast is brought to us by our friends at the United States Concealed Carry Association. The USCCA helps responsible Americans like you prepare for what happens before, during, and after an act of lawful self defense. USCCA members get life saving education, expert training, plus self defense liability insurance. These benefits provide more than 500,000 USCCA members with the peace of mind that they deserve. Plus, a USCCA membership is always risk free with their 100% money back quote unquote bulletproof guarantee. Membership is truly an investment worth exploring. Click Learn More below right now to activate your United States Concealed Carry Association membership. Click Learn More right now. And remember, the USCCA is not an insurance company. A policy has been issued to the USCCA by Universal Fire and Casualty Insurance Company. That policy provides the association and its members with self-defense liability insurance subject to its terms, conditions, limitations, and exclusions. And, ladies and gentlemen, if we continue to have violent criminals released back out onto the streets, you have the right to be able to defend yourself, and the USCCA will make sure that you can have a proper defense of yourself if it comes to a legal court hearing. We'll be right back. Hey, greetings, everyone! Welcome back to the Step Fast and Law podcast. As promised, I'm joined now with Gianno Caldwell. He is a TV host, pol- political anal- Gianno Caldwell is a TV host, political and analyst. You know why is it that Southern people have problems with certain words? Let me try it again. <laughs> Gianno Caldwell is a TV host, political analyst for Fox News, and the founder of Caldwell Strategic Consulting, a bipartisan firm in Washington, D.C. that provides strategic advice and consulting in the areas of public affairs. Giano was raised on the south side of Chicago. He got his first job in politics at the age of 14 when he walked into the local alderman's office in the hopes of making the world a better place. For the next 17 years, Gianno has held various leadership roles at the federal, state, and local levels. His work in politics and consulting eventually led to becoming an on-air analyst and host for radio and television. Giano's first book, Taken For Granted How Conservatism Can Win Back the Americans That Liberalism Failed Largely, recounts his childhood in streets filled with violence, poverty, and drugs, including his own mother's addiction. And I think many of you remember the sad occasion about his younger brother and the way in which conservative values help him achieve his dreams in reaching D.C. and Los Angeles. His hope is that other Americans will be motivated by his journey and focus again on faith, hard work, and self-determination. Gianno, thank you so much for joining us at the Steadfast and Law Podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It really means a great deal to me to be with such a patriot as you are, and you blazed the trail for... A lot of folks to come behind, especially young African-American conservatives. So thank you for all the well, you- It was
0: my pleasure. That's that's what it's supposed to be about. Not about you and what you achieve, but what you enable others to do. And with that being said, I was just recently in your hometown of Chicago for the Black Conservative Summit uh, held there. Dr. Eric Wallace, we were actually kind of outside Chicago in Tinley Park, but, you know, We have got to start looking at what we can do to get conservatism, this message of faith, family, individual freedom and responsibility, small business entrepreneurship, better education opportunities. we got to get that back into our inner city communities because I grew up in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, and the things that I saw growing up back, you know, 60s and 70s, they've disappeared. How can we get this back? And and, and then we'll talk about your uh, book, Taken for Granted.
1: I think it, it always amounts back to the home or someone that a young person or even an older person tends to trust their advice and kind of live the experience that I think people can relate to. For me, uh, when I jumped into conservatism, it didn't happen right away. I was actually having a conversation with an African-American fellow, older guy on one of the street corners of Chicago who happened to be a Democrat, but he said a bunch of things that I had never heard before. Mm-hmm. Like MLK was a Republican. I was like, what? Never, that couldn't be true. No way, that's possible. Uh, the first members of Congress that were African-Americans were conservatives. Wait, i never heard that. Mm-hmm. So anytime I am told different things, especially if I'm, I have no knowledge of it, I'll go and research so I can have a stronger argument for later conversations. And that's when I realized that the Republican Party was started in 1854 in opposition to the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which wanted to expand slavery. Mm -hmm. I learned that a lot of the Jim, well, not a lot, but all the Jim Crow policies were Democratic-centric policies. I learned that every civil rights bill, including uh, LBJs, 1964 civil rights bill was only passed because of Republican support. When it comes to people having that knowledge base, that's what counts more than anything else, the spread of knowledge. But I know a lot of folks, especially in neighborhoods like I grew up in on the south side of Chicago, are very, very resistant to it because every institution within those communities are left-leaning and liberal. So for anyone to come out with an idea that's different than the democratic party is the party that you should be a part of, especially if you're black, you begin to get alienated immediately, immediately. There's no waiting. There's no, let's have a discussion and let me inform you on this, that and the other. You ultimately to a lot of folks within those communities become a, 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 an enemy and one in which they think is detrimental to their communities. The ones that I grew up in and, and especially, uh, folks who want to grow up and live a different life than the one in which they grew up in.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I was humbled and honored to be the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. And when I would tell folks that the largest state Republican Party in the United States of America was founded on Independence Day of 1867 by 150 black men in Houston, Texas, you know, whites, black, didn't matter. They were just floored. And it reminds me of what it says in the Bible that my people suffer for lack of knowledge. And you bring up a great point in that when you all of a sudden have this epiphany moment, kind of like, you know, Saul being transformed into Paul, it's incredible how it's other blacks that will come out and vehemently attack you. I I mean, it's just the same as how today, you know, there are so many that denigrate and disparage the person I call my ideological mentor, and that's Booker T. Washington. Why do you think we're not getting this type of education into our community? Why do you think that we are, you know, putting boxes on, you know, we can only talk about, we can only understand these aspects of history you know, when you talk about slavery, you know, 1619, but no one wants to talk about the Democrat Party relationship, like you say, with the Ku Klux Klan, lynchings, Jim Crow, all these things. Why do you think that is?
1: I mean, for it, it's a control of a narrative. I think largely people, especially even within our own community, to be honest and frank, a lot of us see the least of those least of us. And I'm talking about folks who are poor who in some cases can't do for themselves and in other cases could simply not want to do and they're comfortable in that set of circumstances, they could be comfortable receiving government assistance, welfare, not wanting to necessarily do the work to, to usurp uh, that existence and, and create something new for themselves. Th- those folks are in, perceived by a lot of folks as just victims. So if you're going to have countless victims, then you can't change the status quo that much, because one of the things I think Democrats did that was which uh, has kept folks in that victimhood is the, the welfare policies. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I'm reminded of, which I thought was really great, was the what was it? The 96 welfare reform with Newt Gingrich. Yes. And Bill Clinton. Yes. What they did is unleashed potential in particular areas. If you want to receive this, these benefits. And you're not disabled, meaning you can work. You need to either work or go to to school. And then when you worked, and I know this pretty well because I worked for a federal agency at that time at 16. I started working for the Social Security Administration part-time 25 hours a week, 40 hours in the summers and winters until I graduated high school. and I got a full-time role. There was a lady there who was a work mentor of mine. She taught me how to do this particular job. She was a welfare recipient. Currently, at that at that time, she was a welfare recipient and she was also getting a full time check. Ultimately, at a particular point within her career at that agency, she came off this program that they set up for welfare recipients and she became a permanent hire and she came off of welfare. So she was able to do for herself, but they did not take her off the system when she started making a little bit of money, which is some of the policies that were crafted by Democrats to keep you locked into poverty. So if you go out and you decide, okay, I'm going to do for myself, let me go uh, work a job at McDonald's or you know, a, a low-wage job because you may not have skills or education, as soon as you start making a little bit of money, they snatch you off this welfare program and that makes people panic. That puts them in fear because they know that the welfare is consistent. They could end up being fired for doing something in two days or three days. And then you could be in a situation with no money, so it wasn't until ninety, the ninety six reform, uh, welfare reform, that things begin to change and look differently. But Obama took us right back. Yeah, it wasn't and it that amazing? Became a
0: huge issue. Wasn't it amazing that the quote-unquote first black president, son of Chicago, comes in and reverses that? It's, it's yes. almost as as if we want that perpetual victimhood, victimization, instead of allowing people to be victors. And you know, another thing that I have seen happen within our community uh, that I think has had a detrimental effect on our community. It's the breakdown of the traditional nuclear family. and That's right. You know, in 61, when I was born, yeah, I'm getting up there. In 61, when I was born, you know, 75 to 77 percent of the households in the black community had mommies and daddies in the home. But look at where we are today. And what's amazing to me, we have this organization, Black Lives Matter, and they set it on their website that we are against the traditional nuclear family they were against the thing that made the black community strong and and you've seen that I'm sure uh, there in Chicago
1: yeah, absolutely and Chicago was even much more of an interesting place as uh we saw the projects there where they had folks who were receiving government assistance they largely stayed in these housing projects that could be thirty stories high. Mm. And they were caged up. So for your, as they're outside of your house, there was a big cage that surrounded the building, of, of which uh, some people viewed as a prison. They ended up tearing those projects down and relocating people all across the city. So that's why you see in part why violence is so bad in, in Chicago. You mentioned my brother earlier, my baby brother Christian, yeah. was murdered June 24th, 2022. So last year, he was murdered. And as a result, when you're thinking about the crime and how bad it's gotten over the decades, is because they relocated all these people out of the projects. And then they said, "Okay, you'll be able to get a Section 8 voucher. This is government money that will allow you to stay outside of the projects in a home here or there. You can be in an actual house, apartment or whatever the case. But if you have someone who went to prison, jail, maybe this is the child's parent. You know, maybe this is the dad. He's not allowed to stay with you or we're going to cut you off the program and you'll be homeless. So when you talk about the nuclear family and what's going on, folks have made mistakes and they've been criminalized for those mistakes to the degree that it's better off for a woman who's black to not have a dad in the home because she can get more benefits for those kids because she doesn't have that income. And it became normalized. It became normalized, and it has been a detriment ever since. And even before then, we've seen policies that were looking to separate men from the women, separate men from their children. And what we got from it is total dysfunction. And and we know that when a man is in the house with his children, his family, the kids are better off. And statistically, they're more likely to be successful if that's the case. Yeah. So we have an entire breakdown of institution, the family being the number one institution. And it must come to an end. That must change. I'm thankful, at least, because I think there's a little bit of a reversal that's happening now. We're seeing an uptick of married Black families, Mm -hmm. I think. But still, it's not enough. We need to do much more, and there needs to be an encouragement of those who may not necessarily have uh, kids, but they're successful African-American men, go out and adopt a child. And I don't mean necessarily adopt them by doing the paperwork, but go be a mentor. Yeah. Join uh, 100 Black Men of Chicago or whatever those organizations are that want to invest back into those communities and give a child an inspirational figure to look up to so they can make some of these better decisions. Because what we've seen in our country, just all, not just in Chicago, crime going up. And it's a lot of juveniles that are doing it. In Chicago, as an example, 80 percent of the homicides that are occurring are black men yeah. <laughs> are shooting black men. Th- and that's a major problem.
0: And that doesn't make the news. I wonder, you know, what, what why that doesn't make the news or why Black Lives Matter is not showing up and talking about those type of things. You know, it, it really reminds me of the movie The Matrix where you're in this world and there's a challenge. I mean, you can take the blue pill, funny they say the blue pill, and stay in the matrix, or you can take the red pill and come out of it. And I think that there are a lot of people in the inner city urban communities, they're afraid to take that red pill and come out of it. So That kind of transitions us over to your book, Taken for Granted, How Conservatism Can Win Back the Americans, That Liberalism Fail. Without a doubt, the the leftist policies, if you want to look at a community in a whole, has grossly failed the black community. And, And like I said, you can look at any of the urban centers. How do we come up with a prescription to reverse this? Because like you say, some people are going to want to stay in that matrix. But how can we start to make a difference? You know what, what's
1: interesting is I thought in the Trump era, and I know a lot of people may say Trump, you know, how? In the Trump era, I think that there was a lot of people who were much more exposed to conservatism, exposed to the values of the Republican Party. And we saw an uptick in black support uh, voters, 8 percent in 2016. Uh, then we saw an um, uh, even greater percentage of African-Americans and Hispanics. They chose to, to support his candidacy. Uh, I think, in my personal opinion, you know, the 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 behavior of Trump, if you will, wasn't something that I would necessarily connected to. Mm-hmm. But he was, and without question in my mind, the most impactful president for African-Americans that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Now, I know a lot of groups he's helped. He's helped the farmers. He's helped a lot of different communities. But this was the only president of either Democrat or Republican that was laser focused on the issues of the black community. And it was very, very helpful. It was inspiring to see. And I think a lot of people as a result said, you know what? when he went and he said to, to folks, he said, what do you have to lose yes. by electing me? Your schools are no good, yep. which in a lot of areas, you know, you look at Baltimore as an example, Oh my like, God, failing schools in Chicago, yeah. failing schools, all these inner cities. You've been voting for these people for 50 years. What what have they given you? What do you have to lose? And people thought it was just such a problematic statement. But the truth is, yeah, what do we have to Like, literally, they've not done anything. And it's really put them on their heels because at that time, all they had to do is call you names and Republicans would back off. Yeah, You know, you start calling them names so they wouldn't even mention it. They would stay free and clear of, of that. But what we've seen is folks to a sports figures, folks, you know, you think about Kanye West. And, I, of course, a lot of us may not agree with how he moves in certain areas of life. But at the same time, there were people who were willing to stand up and take those arrows from the mainstream media. From the Al Shoptons of the world and the Jesse Jackson, they were willing to take those arrows and say, yeah, Ice Cube is another good example. He wasn't a uh, a Republican, but he was willing to work with uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, which didn't want to work with him. They told him, hey, you know, if you want to do something for the black community, that's waiting to after the election. And they still don't return this call to this day. Wow. But there's people who are willing to stand up and say enough is enough. And I think that's why I feel like we have an awakening that's going on within the United States of America, because people are fed up with it. They're fed up uh, with nothing being done. But you showing up every year around election time to talk about how racist Republicans are and how you couldn't get any agenda passed because the racist Republicans. And they did that in Chicago too. I can believe it. And and what Republicans are in Chicago? you know what i mean like what are you talking about yeah. it's, it's always a finger pointing and never an accepting of personal responsibility and that's what's been the problem in that space but i think things are changing we just got to keep our voices out there keep showing folks of diverse viewpoints and looks what the republican party means to them and i think that's gonna bring more people to the to, to, to our side. But it's not going to happen overnight and it may take years to do it, but we have to be consistent.
0: You're absolutely right. And that's why I remember when uh, Reince Priebus, who was the chairman of the uh, RNC, he talked about uh, what what was it? uh, Outreach. And I told him, I said, I don't want to hear the word outreach because outreach always means you show up in Black History Month uh, and then no one ever sees you again until a couple of you know, months before an election, and you say, here we are, why don't you vote? You've got to have continuous, consistent engagement. You've got to talk about these issues. You've got to talk about your history. And most importantly, you've got to stop being on defense and go on offense against the left. And, and their failures, especially in the major urban population centers. The teachers' unions don't care about educating black kids. And I think it has to be very evident and you brought up Chicago and Baltimore, but that's even here where I live in the, in the Dallas area or any urban center. So you've got an election coming up here in Chicago. Uh, where do you think that's going to go? And, and what do you see as the future for the uh, the Windy City there?
1: Well, you know what? I've been very active and and involved. Uh, I was very vocal around Lori Lightfoot. I've called her out on television many times. I've reached out to her office about my brother. They didn't care. They didn't want to talk. When, Because of the work I do at Fox News, it was the highest profile murder in Chicago all of last year.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It was the, the highest profile murder. Now, it was very difficult for me to even try to get a little bit of movement and I got John Walsh who's doing commercials with me that I'm putting on a Fox, local Fox television, running them every hour to try to get justice for my little brother. And there's so many people who don't even have the resources. They don't have a, a powerful name to be behind them. They don't have the money to bury their child. Funerals are expensive. I didn't know that until I had to pay for one. Funerals are very expensive. And there's a lot of poor people in Chicago who don't have that kind of money to pay for funerals. So Lori Lightfoot had to go. There was no question about it. She created a no-chase policy where police could not chase suspects on foot. If they were going to chase them in their cars, they had to call their supervisors to get permission. She's uh, really handcuffed the police to the detriment of many of Chicago's citizens. It was the number one issue in 20 years, crime was, for this past election. Number one issue because even in the prominent white areas, they were being robbed. They were being shot at. They were being murdered. So it was a very serious situation for all of Chicagoans. And now we have a runoff uh, with Brandon Johnson, who's a progressive, and Paul Vallis, who's a centrist. As uh, you know, He's more moderate in the middle kind of guy, but he believes in supporting the police. He doesn't believe in defunding the police, Paul Vallis, that is. He believes in school choice and fiscal responsibility, and they're calling him a Republican because of those beliefs. And truth be told, crime— and safety was not a Republican or a Democrat no, issue.
0: It's, it's a it life a, issue.
1: <laughs> yeah, look, at this, this is, is, is as a right of a citizen of anywhere in America, it should be safety is the number one for everyone. Yeah. Like this is this is just living and breathing within our borders. This is what you are entitled to. And now the thing is flipped on his head and the polling is so close with these two candidates. I just hope Paul Vallis pulls it out because. My concern is that Brandon Johnson is able to win that we're going to see even more black bodies littered in the streets of Chicago because this man has defended the looters, the rioters, and he doesn't give a damn about the police. He doesn't give a damn about safety and security for the residents of Chicago. So we got to flip this thing on his head and make changes in Chicago, and they need to be pretty radical to get things back under control. Kim Fox is another problem. The county prosecutor oh, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, it, it, one in which Brandon Johnson actually said, operates with great integrity. This is the one who dropped all charges in the Jesse Smollett's hoaxed. Uh, and people know all about that. Oh, I know yeah. folks have heard about it time and time again. But we gotta make some sincere changes in Chicago, and I'm hopeful that Paul Vallis is the guy to do that. I'm cautiously optimistic, because we all remember what happened in New York with uh Adam he got in, yep. the mayor. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it been mixed results. It hasn't been all the stuff that he claimed he was going to be doing, coming down on a heavy hand. He need to be more vocal. He needs to have more cops on the street. Because even a, a colleague of uh, ours over at Fox, Adam Clotz, was beat oh, no, up I on the train that. by yes. a juvenile. Yes, You know, it's, it's, this is ridiculous. This had never been an issue to this degree because everyone could agree That you needed police before George Floyd and you saw the folks on the left really took advantage of that and caused billions of dollars of damage and saying, oh, yeah, folks have a right to riot and loot. No, they don't. They absolutely don't. They have a right to peacefully protest and exercise their First Amendment rights, but they don't have rights to change civilization for all of the United States because folks are upset. And rightfully so, people were upset but not to the degree that yeah. they're going to steal and take what that doesn't belong to them. Well, that's not the country that we live
0: in. Well, the left believes that you have a riot to protest and loot and do those type of things and destroy property if you're aligned with their ideological agenda.
1: Exactly right. Okay. Exactly right.
0: I mean, that's the thing. They'll excuse anything. So as we uh, get ready to wrap up, where can people find you out there and all the great work that you're doing? Where can people get your book taken for granted? How Conservatism Can Win Back the America that liberalism failed?
1: Well, I would appreciate definitely pick up the book. It's on Amazon right now, taking for granted how conservatism can win back the Americans that liberalism failed. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Gianno Caldwell, G-I-A-N-N-O, Caldwell, C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L.
0: Well, I want to tell you, I'm so proud of you and thank you for joining us here at the Step Fast and Law Podcast. And you are truly the reason why, you know, us old heads, the, the the gray heads, we get out there and we plug through because we've got to set the conditions for your success. And when I see young men such as yourself, it just really warms my heart. So thanks so very much for all that you do, Gianno Caldwell.
1: Thank you so much. I really
0: appreciate you. And thank you for your service to this country. That's my pleasure and honor. God bless you. and All the best as you continue to plug away, Gianno.
1: God bless you as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Special thanks goes out to Gianno Caldwell. And again, just heartfelt condolences for the loss of his younger brother in an act of violence there in his hometown of Chicago. If you like this podcast, please click the like button. Share it with others because we're here to make sure that you can be activated to preserve and protect this constitutional republic. God bless you. See you next time. Before they burn it down.